Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Berean Bible Church podcast. This message is a part of the Seven Seas of History series, and it's called Confusion. From our Green Campus, here is our Green Campus director, Ron Miller. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. And I want to welcome those that are joining us online. We are glad you're with us this morning. We've been struggling through some difficult questions over the last couple of weeks. Questions like, who are we? Where did we come from? What happened to this world we're living in? Where is it headed? And, uh, and we're going to look at some of those type of questions again today. This world, as we've learned over the last few weeks, is not the way God intended it to be. It doesn't look right now like God wanted it to be. And, and yet we have the opportunity to live here today. But going all the way back to the beginning, we, we broke God's perfect creation. And so we're going to look at that again today. We're going to look at another historic turn. And as, I, as I've watched and looked and, and studied with you over the last couple of weeks, what I've been impressed with, and today again, is that at every historic turn, God has graciously reached down to mankind, fixed the broken, and rescued the hurting, and he's brought people back to him. And we're going to see that again today. But as, as I begin, I want to tell you a story about a young boy. This is a boy I knew many, many years ago. And, and he, he grew, growing up, he was, he was young, he was just getting into school, kindergarten, first, second grade, but he was, he was popular. He was, he was outgoing. He, would, he talked to everybody. He built friendships. He was just out there, and he loved life. And then his world got turned upside down. You know, that little boy, even, even at the beginning, he was kind of okay at school. When the teachers could keep his attention, if you can relate to that. Uh, but one Christmas, his life just turned upside down, and he found out his parents' employment had kind of fallen apart, and they were going to have to move. And so Christmas Day, Christmas Day, he had to move. They had presents in the morning, and by the afternoon, they were in a whole new house, a whole new town, and he had to approach things in a new way. By January, he's the new kid. That was a big difference from the way it was before. And as the new kid, he had some difficulties. And as he was approaching this new school, as you can imagine, not everybody just welcomed him back in. In fact, he felt a little bit separated he felt put off. Um, people made fun of him. People picked on him. People were hurtful. I mean, he hadn't really experienced that before, and so it was difficult walking into a new situation. Even the teachers picked on him. Can you imagine that? You see, he had learned things a little different order back in the first school, and now he came to the second school, and they didn't like how he had learned before. So while he had done okay, he started to fail, he started to do poorly, things didn't exactly go well for him. And so he kind of pulled away. You know, one of the things I've learned, sometimes you have, you have got the kids over here that maybe they feel a little insecurity 
They feel a little difficulty in life. They think if, we, if we're mean to someone else, we can make ourselves feel bigger. We can make ourselves feel better. And so there's a little insecurity going on there. And at the same time, he's feeling pushed down. And, and, and he felt separate. He felt divided. He felt hurt. He felt outside. And really, as you look at that, as you look at that story... It's nothing special. It, it could be talking about any one of us. Uh, maybe some of you have experienced the same type of thing, moving to a new place. But I'll bet all of us have experienced the idea of division, separation. Have you, have you experienced and felt divided in your relationships ever in the past? If we're honest to ourselves, have we felt isolated before, alone. Maybe, maybe in, a, in a bad place in our life where we didn't feel like people understood us. Maybe that people were pushing us away. We felt divided, separated. I know I have felt that way in my life. The simple thing can be that we just didn't fit in it might be as simple as that. It can be as dangerous as physical and verbal harm. And we've, we've experienced those type of things in our life. You know, I think that all of us maybe could relate to this. Have there been times when you've been hit hard? It felt like you were knocked down. Has there been times where you felt hurt, pain, in some of those experiences, maybe you were the one that were, was right, and maybe you were, at times, the one that was wrong. Maybe you were the one that, at times, was on the top, but maybe there's other times when you were down. Maybe sometimes you were the one that was left out. If we're honest, there's times when we have felt divided. And sometimes it happens when we're young. And then we grow up and it all goes away. We've overcome all that. We, don't, we no longer feel divided, do we, when we become an adult? We get this ability to work together and to unify and to encourage other people and to be right there with them and, and always be on the same page and always be on the same team. Right? As adults, we don't, we don't all overcome that, do we? Uh, I, I recently, uh, through, through our pastor teaching team, uh, was presented with a, a group of articles that the AP has come up with, and they just used America. They're talking about our country. And they called the group of articles the divided America. Here's what they said in their introduction. It's no longer just Republican or Democrat or liberal versus conservative. It's the 1% versus the 99%. Rural versus urban, white men against the world. I don't like that, but that's their description. Climate doubters versus believers. They said bathrooms have become the battlefields and borders the battle lines. Sex and race and faith and ethnicity. The melting pot seems to be boiling over. See, we haven't, we haven't corrected it all as adults, have we? We're divided. We have a divided nation. 
I'd say that that description really covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? And, and then add COVID to it, and it all got better. <laughs> no, we're maybe more divided now, aren't we? It made it worse. Clearly, we have a broken, divided, separated world. And mankind hasn't fixed it. I love history. Go back to the very beginning of the 1900s. They, they believed they could bring the kingdom of God to earth and they could fix all the problems. 122 years later, mankind has not fixed the problems. But what we see on the news is not what God intended it to be. So what happened? Why are we so divided? Is there any repair? And so that's, that's what we're going to look at today. And, and we're going to go back to the beginning. Go back and look at the origin. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to look at this passage together. And uh, in the chair Bibles, it's page number 10. That's where I'm going to be at. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you uh, a Bible. It's just right there in your seats. If you need an easy-to-read Bible, please take this, the Bible as our gift. Uh, but it, before we jump right into chapter 11, I want to give you a little context. Uh, there's some things that lead up to Genesis chapter 11. And I want to remind you of one of the key commands that God gave all the way back in Genesis 1 uh, to Adam when he created Adam. God was delegating his authority to Adam, and he gives Adam this command. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill, fill the earth. And so he's commanding Adam in, in God's authority to take that authority, fill the earth, multiply, and, and, and take the image of God throughout the earth. Genesis 1, 28. Last week, if you remember, we, we looked at worldwide flood. Mankind had gotten to the point where they were so bad that God cleansed the earth. And he started again with Noah. And God then brings this command back up again in chapter 9. And he's recommissioning Noah to go forth and again fill the earth. So in, in chapter 9 verse 1, God says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The same thing he told Adam. He's telling mankind to do, Noah, to do what he created man to do in the first place. Messed up the first time, now go back and, and start over again. We were created in God's image. We were created to fill the earth, to rule over it, to help it to flourish and to, to grow. And, and yet, man tried to do something else. And so as we come into chapter 11... In chapter 9, God made this command to Noah, and over 9 and 10, and we're not going to look at all the verses, but over 9 and 10, what you will see is that man figured out how to multiply, but they decided not to fill. Take, take a look at chapter 11 with me. Verse 1, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylon and settled there. And just, just a couple things here. Uh, 
I started out talking about division and hurt and pain and separation. But then you look at this verse and it says, well, they all have the same language. They use the same words. They're all in one place. They're unified. Well, that's not really about division. Can you imagine how much easier it would be to accomplish things in the world today if everyone spoke the same language? If, if everyone didn't have communication issues? And sometimes when we do speak the same language, we still have communication issues. The problem goes back, and we're going to look at that problem today. But society here was unified. It was undivided. And that's good, right? All unity is not necessarily good. Take a look at what happens. Verses 3 and 4. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks, harden them with fire. And just historically, we have an aside, and it says, in this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said to each other, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. A couple problems here. First, what was God's command? He said to multiply and stay in one place or fill said, fill the earth. And God didn't say build cities and stay here. And so they're already, from the very beginning, disobeying God. And the thing is, they know it. Because look what they say at the end of verse 4. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered. So they know God wants them to fill the earth. And yet, they want to stay put in one place. Second, second problem here is their motivation. Let's do this, what? For our own fame. For our fame. Man, mankind was created in God's image to reflect Him. To point back to Him. And instead, what is man doing here? They're building a city to reflect them. To, to shine their glory. They're saying, look at us. Look at what we built. Look at what we did. God wanted to scatter us, but look what we did. There's a word for this kind of attitude. Do you know what it is? Pride. I heard it. Yeah, pride. Pride's that word. Pride in its its basic sense is self-focused. Let me look at me. Pride is, I'm going to turn everything back to myself. I'm going to view everybody around me through the lens of me. I'm going to view my actions and what I accomplish through the lens of me. Pride is the belief that I am great, and then it's the projection to everybody else that I am great. But that's not what God designed us for, is it? See, God designed us for authority and for dignity and for community. The, the problem is when we put pride into it, we, be, we abuse authority and dignity and community. We destroy what God created us to be. Rather than carry out God's authority, 
and, and, and live for him and live according to, to his authority. Instead, we say, let's do it our way. Rather than finding dignity in who God made us to be, and who he created us to be. Instead, pride says, I'm going to find my value, my dignity, my worth. I'm going to find that in who I make me to be and how great I can become. And then pride takes community where we can live out God's relational image and pride abuses that. And we take community and we, we make power plays and we try to satisfy ourselves. And so pride, pride says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it for my greatness. And I'm going to do it in my power. And that's what's going on here in, uh, in chapter 11. Pride makes everything about me. Pride centers on me. And, and in, in some sense, well, that doesn't sound too bad because... We're all prideful because uh, we like things focused on us, right? That doesn't sound too bad. What I want you to see in this passage is there's a progression here, and it's a very dangerous path. Take, take a look back again at this, at this verse. They, they go ahead and they stay in one place, right? And, and then they build this city. And then what's the next thing that they do? They build a tower. And so take a look at that progression. Uh, they, first of all, they start by disobeying God. He said, fill, and they said, nope, we're going to stay. And then they said, we're going to do it for our glory, so let's build a city and everybody can look at us. And then they build the tower, and how does God describe it in the Bible? He says, the tower that reaches to the sky. They're going to build it tall. They're going to build it big. What's that a picture of? They're putting themselves in the place where God is. They're saying, God, we know you're there, and we're going to be there with you. We're going to be right where you are. We want to be in your place. They're elevating themselves to the same level as of God. And so they build the tower. They make it all about them. They're deliberately standing against God. We're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it for our glory, and then we're going to take your place. And so in a sense, they, they stand there and say, we know you said multiply and fill, but that's not what we want to do. We're going to do it our way. God, stop us if you can. I mean, I almost get the picture here that they're standing there at the top of their tower up in the sky with their fist raised to God and saying, stop us if you can. That's a dangerous progression. In fact, in the Bible, it says God's character repels that attitude. It repels uh, pride. James chapter 1, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. In the book of Proverbs, it says that God hates pride. And, and so God doesn't let their actions go unnoticed. He doesn't let their attitude go unnoticed. They're, they're thinking of themselves as a pretty big deal at this point. 
Look at us. Look how great we are. Look how big we built this tower. Try to flood the earth again. We're up above it. Look at us. God, stop us if you can. But I think what they come across to God is as immature children. Ironically, for as big and as great as they thought they were, God has to actually stoop down to take a look at what they're doing. God has to get down on their level, and they think they've already made it to his level. They've deceived themselves. Take a look at the next couple verses here. Verse 5 to 7. It says, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower and the people building. Look, the people are united. They all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. God comes down. He sees them. He evaluates their achievements. He evaluates the situation. And and he even he gives the statement that left unchecked, left to their own devices, they will actually... nothing will be out of bounds for them. Nothing will be impossible to them. I think that acknowledges a couple couple key points. That man, mankind, has huge potential. Huge potential. And when we cooperate, there is so much that we can accomplish. Just look at the last century, how much mankind has accomplished. From, From intercontinental travel, air flight... We've put people on the moon. We've made the computer you could have in your house first in this little box. And then what do we have in our pockets? Enough computing power to, to have enormous amounts of information. The amount of information is doubling every three years. Mankind has accomplished huge amounts. As we begin to cooperate again across, across countries and across cultures. But unrestrained mankind's desires will run wild. And that's what God is addressing here. They'll be able to accomplish so much, but their desires will run wild. It'll take them in the wrong direction. I believe what's going on here is they were on the road to exponential growth, exponential achievement. And it was going to increase and increase. The tools that they built were going to be able to do more and more and more. What they could build was like this tower. I don't know. Maybe it was a a skyscraper like New York City. It was up there. Look what they could achieve. The technology was going to increase. But what that was leading them to was self-worship. And where self-worship will lead to is God's judgment. They were going down a path of no return. And so God, God, like a loving father, steps in. And I picture it this way. A father who has his children and doesn't want them to destroy themselves, doesn't want them to hurt themselves. He knows where they're headed and he says, this is a very bad direction. And the father says, I got to stop it now. And that's what God does in grace. 
God steps in and he stops them. Look at, look at verse 8. It says, In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. And they stopped building the city. And that's why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages and in this way scattered them all over the world. God steps in. He divides the languages out of His grace. Without that, they were headed down a road which would lead them to ultimate destruction. And God said, it's not time for that yet. I love them. I want to reach them. I want to bring them back to me. And to do that, I have to, I have to stop them. And so God was greater. The people here, they, they thought themselves great. And so they said, we're going we're gonna to come together and we're going to stay together. And God said, Sorry. No, you think you're so great? I am great. You're, I'm going to fill the earth. You won't do it, I'll fill it. And he scatters them and he sends them throughout the earth. God slowed their progress. God slowed their goals. And he focuses them back on what he created them for in the first place. And so what's happening, just historically what happened here? They get split up into different places with different languages in different geographical regions, different pockets of humanity. And they develop different physical traits, different cultures, different histories. And we have nations and cultures and continents divided. And that's what's taking place. And so you, you look at that and you look at this one story in these nine verses and I want to ask the question, can it really all be that simple? Look at all the differences. And this is just hands. Can it really all be that simple? Can we all really be divided around this earth just because of one simple, decisive division that God made of mankind? Now, evolutionary science would want us to believe a different thing. They'd want us to say that, that it's more than just physical and cultural differences. The Bible says we split up everybody. They all came from original origin. And because they were split, they developed different physical characteristics. And they had different languages. And then they developed different cultures. And that's what split it up. Evolution would say, well, different humans developed at different times, different places, in different ways. And that's where all the... That's where all the differences come from. Actually, that belief would lead us down to believe that there's actually different grades of human. That's not a healthy view. And that led to 19th century and earlier deep racial racism and harm. That belief led our country and countries around the world into some very deep and dark viewpoints. But what we see in the world around us fits with the biblical story. Different pockets of people in different places around the world that develop different characteristics. Biologically, it says the same thing. Biology would confirm this same viewpoint. 
And there's been recent biological uh, studies. The Human Genome Project is one of them. And they've come to believe that 99.9% of all human DNA is the same. And it's just that one little fraction that's different between nations and cultures and people. And that one little fraction is what deals with all the differences on the outside. And yet we as people, we tend to focus on what's on the outside. But in the core, biologically, we're the same. It fits with the biblical account. How about language, though? There's a lot of languages in the world. Anybody have an idea how many languages in the world? I'm going to throw a number out. 4,000? Any others? Yeah, thousands? There's, there's nearly 7,000 languages. 7,000 in the world. Can that all really happen and come from one language? Does that sound more like a fairy tale than reality? I spent a number of years in linguistics, study of languages. I have a master's degree in linguistics. And, and the beauty of it is, and I loved it, that we have these secular people studying linguistics, and what they've come to understand is the 7,000 languages boil down to 20 language families. And then they believe, and this just blows our mind, right? Because we have the Bible. That those 20 language families actually come from one single language. Wow. I've got the story that backs it up. God's account fits with what we see. And so there's, there's actually universities around the world, throughout Asia, Europe, from Russia to America, all the continents that are working together to prove that all the languages came from one language. That's awesome. I don't need their proof. I've got what God said, but I love their proof because it shows me uh, the truth that we see in Scripture. But there's some implications there, aren't there? If it's true that we have a unified origin and that we really inside are basically all the same. If that is true, then what should that mean to our life? What should that mean to how we treat another nationality or how we treat our neighbor down the street or how we treat someone that's different or has a different background or has a different... If we do really have a unified origin, why are we so divided? Why are we still so divided if we internally are basically the same? And as we talked about at the very beginning, if we've even experienced many of the same struggles, many of the same difficulties, can't we look at someone else and and put ourselves in their shoes and unify instead of divide? The sad thing is, The problem here is the same problem that's in Genesis 11. Pride. Pride. It's the same root issue across history from nations to individuals. People have harmed each other. They have conquered each other. They have hurt each other. Sometimes enslaved. Sometimes uh, abused. Why? Because of pride. Because they were focused on me. 
The big struggle is that all of us have a pride problem. I want to think back to that young boy at the very beginning. Pride fit into that story, didn't it? Pride fit into that story. What happens when one group of kids picks on another group of kids? When they they try to assert their dominance because of their internal insecurities? They're trying to build their pride. Maybe they just want to show how great they are. What is that? That's pride. How about that little boy? Why why did he pull away from the friends? Why did he eventually say, "I, I feel so separated, and so I'm not going to pursue friendships anymore? Well, because his pride was hurt. It was a problem on both sides of the story. And pride continues to divide Pride still drives us apart today. The root issue really isn't cultural differences. It's really not political divides. It's it's not the generation gap or the gender wars. It's not income inequality or COVID, right? That's where the conflict's happening. That's That's where the heat seems to be boiling. But... The real issue is the same attitude that we find in Genesis 11, and that is pride. Pride. The challenging truth here is that we all have a pride problem. (laughs) And it wars against us. And the difficult part about pride is it's really easy to see in other people. It's easy for me to see in somebody else. It's really hard for me to see in myself. And we all struggle with that, don't we? It's tough to see in ourselves. And so think about pride for a few minutes. It's not always building the tower in the sky. Sometimes that is easier to recognize. But what about when we come home from work? We've been away for a long time. We step in the door. We want to rest. Maybe you want to sit down and unwind. And what happens? All the pressures of home start piling on your shoulders. Maybe the people that are at home, the family that wants your attention. Maybe it's the the things that have broken during the day that need now fixed. Maybe it's the difficulties that have arisen. And and what does it make us do? That, That little monster starts to well up. We start to get frustrated and we start to get angry because the the voice says you know it's my time it's it's my time to sit down i want to rest how dare you bring your problems to me how dare you interrupt my quiet pride pride maybe maybe it's at work maybe it's at home and our day gets interrupted Have you ever had that happen? Somebody just steps in. You had it all planned out. You had had a project you were working on and and the day was going well and then someone inserts themselves. We become interrupted. And that monster rises up again and says, man, what I was doing was very important to me and you interrupted it. How dare you? That's pride. How about when when we walk into these doors? We're here to worship. Maybe the music isn't what we wanted that day. Maybe there's a distraction a few rows over. Maybe the speaker just said something you didn't like. 
like we all have a pride problem. (laughs) And we leave with that monster welling up that says, I didn't get to worship the way I wanted to. How dare they interrupt my worship? That's pride. Pride fuels that conflict, doesn't it? It fuels it. It feeds the division. It keeps us separated because it makes me the priority. Not truth, not obedience, not my kids, not my wife, not even God. It makes me the priority. Pride. Pride is claiming the place of God. It's putting me in the spot God belongs in. The beautiful thing is the repair. While pride says I'm God, the repair is actually to become more like God. Here's the example of Jesus. Jesus gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being then, born as a human being and then appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Humility is the antidote. Humility is the antidote. It's the answer. Jesus is the example. And if we can set our pride aside, we can embrace what Jesus did for us. And he becomes the bridge to God. He becomes the bridge for our divide. And not only that, but he can become the bridge to bring us together with other people. But we have to, have a, we have to make a choice. And that is to set aside pride and to accept what God has done. Not, not what we did, but what God did. Just set aside our pride and embrace the gospel. Embrace Jesus' gift of salvation. Embrace that he went to the cross in our place. That he stood in humility. And then we get a new unity. We get brought back together with God. You see, in that passage, Jesus came down again. God came down again, but not to divide us up, to bring us back to him. He bridges our divides. But that not only affects our relationship with God, it also affects our relationship with other people. Paul in that same chapter says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Humility is the antidote to pride, putting others first, being humble. When you think back about the the young boy again, could this really work? Could humility really work? Could putting others first actually work? I want to think about that young boy again, because that boy, that wasn't the only time that he met new people. Or had new things. At that very same time, he had a new school, and that he felt had rejected him. He had an opportunity to have a new church not long after that. Why do I know this story? Because you might have guessed, but this, this boy is me. This is my story. 
And my father went and he pastored a new church, and that church was a little tiny church on an Indian reservation. Clash of cultures, right? Collision of cultures. And while that church didn't always embrace our family, and while that community didn't always embrace our family, I found a friend there. I found a friend. His name was Sean. And and we came together clash of cultures, but we came together. We were able to set aside the difficulties that all our adults had at that point. And we said, we're going to choose to be friends. We're going to put the other person first. And somehow we were able to come together to play together, to enjoy our time together, to get to know each other's families, to play football together, to play video games together. And we, we just did everything we could together. We even watched our favorite football team together, the Buffalo Bills. We got to see them go to a bunch of Super Bowls. Fortunately, we haven't won one yet. But this kid, the kids at school rejected this little boy. But my friend Sean, he embraced me. We were from two different cultures. We were from two different worlds. And we were able to come together. See, I had to set aside my pride to do that, though. My hurt pride said, I don't think I can trust friends, and I don't think I can have relationships. And I had to set that pride aside. And he had to set aside his pride. He had been taught white men are the problem. They're the problem with everything that's wrong on the reservation. He had to set that aside. And when we did that, we could come together. And for us, the difference was Jesus. Jesus made all the difference. And in our little minds... We believed if Jesus could love people, then we could love people. And it didn't matter where we came from. It didn't matter what our background was. We could just take the simple step to love each other. And we built the friendship. And that friendship enjoyed the good times. But Sean eventually contracted cancer and leukemia. And we went through the bad times. We were inseparable. We got to run races up and down the halls with wheelchairs, but slowly declined. But we were together because we put each other above ourselves. We don't have to let pride win. We don't have to let pride dominate. We can reach out to others in humility because Jesus has reached out to us. We can take that step forward. Maybe it's Maybe it's reaching out and being a friend to a person that doesn't have one. Maybe it's generously meeting a need for someone who has a need. Maybe it's being patient with that person that's on our nerves. <laughs> it's wearing us thin. When we're wrong, maybe it's the, when someone has wronged us, maybe it's taking the step of forgiving them. But you see, humility will allow us to take steps toward others. Pride divides, but in humility, we can come back together. We accept what Jesus has done for us in humility, and then we can love others as he has loved us and begin to bridge the divides. It doesn't solve all the answers. It won't fix all the problems in our country, but if we're willing to take a step forward, we can choose to embrace someone else instead of jumping to judgment. We can choose 
to, to instead of feed division in humility, take a step towards someone else. This morning, I'd, I'd like to, to ask you to stand with me and pray. I want to ask a couple questions. I want us to think about this concept as we pray. Our worship team is going to come forward and they're going to lead us in some praise. And so as we come before God this morning, I want your eyes to be on Him. Because pride says our eyes are on us. But if we want to step into humility, we put our eyes on Jesus. Take them off us. Put them on God the Son. And that will help us see others as well. Dear Heavenly Father, just help us look into our hearts this morning. Help us look into into this issue of pride. Lord, I want to ask this morning, for everyone that's here with me, have you taken the step of trusting Jesus? of in humility saying, God, I want to trust you. I want to accept your salvation. It's not about what I've done. It's not what about I've accomplished. I want to trust in what you've done for me. If you haven't made that decision, today's a great day. Just pray as we pray and ask God to forgive you. Accept his gift, his payment, his work, his coming down to you. I'll just ask a couple more questions. Is, is, there, is there a person that you know you have a, a divided relationship from? Is there a broken relationship or is there a person in your life that you know they need the love of Jesus? And then think with me, how can I make the next step forward? In humility, maybe setting aside the the fear, the difficulty, whatever's separating me, but just to take that next step forward. God, help us to make those steps. Help us to root out the pride in our heart. Help us to say, I'm not going to put my eyes on me, but I'm going to put my eyes on you, God. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to see you in this world. And I'm going to root out the pride. And as I keep my eyes on you, God, help me see others around me. Help me put their needs first. Help me reach out as you have loved me. Lord, I'm going to focus on you as the image of love, and I'm going to live that love out to others. Lord, help me to take the steps of living Humility. God, as we praise this morning, as we sing to you, put our eyes on you, God. May you be the center, and may we live out your example. In Jesus' name, amen.